experience Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in 3D. Scott Lang, you have a daughter. You're an Avenger. But out here, you're out of your league. On February 17th. Kang's a monster. He can shatter existence. An Avenger. I don't care what he can do. I'm getting us home. Must face a conqueror. You may not want her to watch this. <laughs> I'm sorry, Cassie. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Experience it in 3D. February 17th. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. (laughs) Did something just happen? What just happened? I just, her face was like, like, oof. So I, I, just so you know, I did press record and I guess just to um, give people at home listening to this a little bit of context, I sort of half jokingly, but I also would say half seriously said to my guest, uh, esteemed friend of the podcast, Piper Sample. Hello, Piper. Um, I said, let's take a moment to bring in Erica Jane, because we are going to be jumping into Erica Jane and the mess that she's in this season. And I said something like, let's, you know, bring in her higher self and open up to whatever information wants to come through for her highest good and for the highest good of anyone who might be listening to this. And you literally, you went in and then literally visibly (laughs) recoiled and said, oof. And so I was just asking, yeah, was there anything more? I mean, you said you saw her face. Was there anything kind of connected to that or is something happening already? Yeah, it's more, I think, the question about what is in the way of her actually aligning with that. Because I, it was like immediately, like, oh, almost like being lost. And then I just saw her, her face from the last episode, just the look on her face felt very far away from her highest self, let's just say. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to invite in also everything that you're seeing, that we're seeing that might be maybe in the way. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some insight into what is it in Erica that is saying no to full alignment with what we're calling her highest self. So on that note, let me just do my due diligence and say hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. Thank you for being here. I am here today, as I said, with Piper Sample, and it seemed like time to finally get into uh, Erica Jane. A lot of you have been asking when we would venture into this territory I did specifically want to wait until we had seen a good amount of stuff on the show because I feel like prior to the show airing, all we really had to go off of were articles and gossip sites. And, you know, to me, I think as far as trying to get some sort of intuitive read on the information, um, you want to have as much information as you can. And even though I think it's safe to say, obviously, Erica is not disclosing uh 
the full truth of whatever's going on. If she even, you know, at this point, and we'll get into this, I don't even know how mentally present or aware she is. I mean, even disregarding the fundamental questions of what did she know, what did she not know as far as what was going on in Tom's business, she's just starting to seem so mentally off to me in a way. But anyways, I just still, I I wanted to see her speak to the situation. I wanted to be able to see footage of Erica with my own eyes and my own ears to kind of start getting a sense of, you know, whatever I get a sense of before I was really going to speak to it. And so, you know, now we're halfway into the season. Certainly there's been a lot of footage. And as I've been sharing with you, Piper, um, you know, my main intention in exploring this and what interests me about it is just this question of, in the place where I personally believe we are co-creating our realities with the universe and that the things that happen in our lives are in some way a reflection of our internal landscape or things in us that might not be in alignment or that our lives kind of conspire to present us with invitations to get more deeply connected to parts of ourselves that may be lost or shut down what is Erica's life revealing to her right now? What what are the themes that are getting reflected back to her? Like what part of her is in a sense co-creating, manifesting, whatever word you want to use for it, this situation? Because it is a big, bold, salacious, dramatic situation. And I think as we all know, she's someone who typically has such a deep relationship with control (laughs) and controlling the narrative, narrative being the operative word. Because for me, I will say there's already a lot that's been coming through about her relationship to performance and what it means to be a performer. Um, But yeah, she's someone who's typically so tightly wound and so tightly controlled. And here she is now in this situation that is spiraling out of control. So you know, I'm sure we'll get into our own theories and thoughts about, again, what did she know? What did she not know? You know, ultimately, this isn't really a podcast about predicting things psychically like that. Um, like I said, I'm more interested in just what's the kind of spiritual, emotional patterning underneath all this and seeing, yeah, what we can bring through about where might Erica have a no to flowing in her life in a constructive way. So having said all that, I think There's a lot to get into, so let's just jump into it. You and I, we've actually not had any kind of real conversation about... You've been out of town for the last month, so this is kind of our first foray together. So I think I just want to start really simply by maybe checking in with you now that we are halfway into the season and kind of find out, like, Piper, where are you when it comes to Erica? What's, what's, What's your initial hit takeaway of everything that we're seeing so far? Well, I just love everything that you said, first of all. And I agree, like, it's so complex, this situation, and so big. And I think the trouble that is revealing itself right now is indicative of this bigness, uh, you know, the way that she lives things, performs things, controls things in a very big way. I feel the same that I always have with her, which is I can't really find her like as I'm watching this unfold and listening to her responses to to the other cast members questions the the way that she's revealing the information the things that she's saying about the information feels 
pretty controlled for the most part and until there's maybe a little bit of a a deeper dig that kind of brushes up against her ability to control something like this last episode for instance there was something that came out but then it also feels performative in some way so i'm just in this question of when is she performing and when is she being real i don't know if i really still have my fingers on that pulse I experience her as even as she's discovering parts of herself performing those parts of herself and i'm like where's the real erica yeah and the question i would bring into that too is does she even know the difference at this point between when she's performing and when she's being real um and I just, I guess I just want to say up top, I think in, in, in the same way that this feels like such a big, messy situation, I just feel like, yeah, I'm going to let the threads of this conversation just flow. And I have to imagine it's just going to kind of be all over the place and then we'll just see where we land. But, um, it's interesting. I think there are a lot of people who are just thinking of her as calculating and being very, let's say, conscious of her lies and that I, my, perception is that a lot of people perceive her as inwardly knowing the difference between her fact and her fiction. And it's interesting because I, so as part of, you know, I did some research, I've been keeping up to date on the court cases. And then today I actually was inspired to go and check out her Ted talk. She did a Ted talk a few years ago, which that dismantling her Ted talk could be an entire deep dive episode. It's fascinating. Oh, I wish I would have seen it. (laughs) I encourage everyone to go check it out. It's 13 minutes long and it's her ostensibly communicating some learning she has received from cultivating her Erica Jane persona. And in the Ted talk, she makes it sound like Erica Jane or the cultivation of that persona, that performance helped her to integrate different parts of herself. But when you actually hear what she's saying, when you listen to the words, there is no integration, which is what's fascinating. Uh-huh. So she basically, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. With the TED Talk, she basically starts it by saying, I, I was 30 years old. I was married to this man. She says, I was in hiding. I had to be the good lawyer's wife. I had to be soft-spoken. I had to be subservient. I had to do and say all the right things, which even that, I was like, that's a pretty shocking admission. You're basically saying you were playing. Yeah. You were playing a part in your marriage. That's big information. And I don't know that she's necessarily presenting it as big (laughs) information, but regardless. So then she says, you know, I realized I was in hiding So my way of dealing with this was to create this other persona of Erica Jane. And just even that right there, for me, I'm pausing here and saying, wait a second. So you mean what you didn't do was take a look at your life and say, wait a second, I've set up my life to be playing a role in a persona in my marriage. And maybe I should look inward and try to understand why did I make that choice? What's the price I'm paying for this? And like really sort of do the work of acknowledging, holy shit, I feel like I'm playing a role in my life and this is what I have to do for the sake of my husband. I'm not going to do that inner work. 
Instead, I'm going to resolve this by splintering further into another persona. And that's like literally what her TED Talk is about. So then she starts talking about how she cultivated Erica Jane. And then she ended up on the show. And then (laughs) started talking about the pain of having created Erica Jane. Because she started essentially to complain that viewers just wanted her to be Erica Jane all the time. And I guess much like Erica Girardi became a prison as a persona, there's a way in which Erica Jane became a prison as a persona. Again, she doesn't ever really speak to how she resolved this, which is what's so interesting to me. she didn't? She didn't, exactly. But what's fascinating about the TED Talk, she talks like she she did. Like she's presenting this TED Talk as I walked through the fire of realizing that I was playing these different parts and I learned how to integrate them. But again, if you listen to what she's saying, she never provides that resolution or explanation. So there's literally an artifice to her her Ted talk in and of itself. It's a performance. It's a performance of someone acting as if they've resolved some inner conflict when in reality they haven't. She literally at the end of the Ted talk says, The true answer lies within. But in that TED Talk, she never once goes within. And in fact, her examples of, I I, I think, (sighs) I'm overwhelmed just talking about this. I think one way she was trying to present kind of what she's positioning as the resolution, like she talked about how as Erica Jane came out, it became harder just to be Mrs. Girardi. And she gave this anecdotal example of she was at a lawyer's luncheon with Tom. And I guess Erica Jane came out and she told some body jokes about sex positions. And the whole room was aghast. And she realized, oh, no, like Erica Jane came out too far. And she was using this to sort of illustrate the tension between the two personas and then kind of gave lip service at the end of it, basically saying, well, you know, what I've realized is there's room for both. I mean, that really was her resolution. It's like, you got to know where to put them. You got to know when it's right to tap into one and when it's right to tap into the other. But again, it's this sort of surface level resolution that doesn't speak to the true inner work of, wait, I've got these different parts of me and I'm in these situations where I don't feel free to be myself. And essentially what I've learned to do is just to compartmentalize all my different identities into different personas and just to kind of find the place where I can plug them in, in this very controlled way. Now at the end of the, literally the last line of her Ted talk is something to the effect of the moral of the story is you can never like truly hide from yourself, but she is hiding from herself. Literally in this Ted talk, she's hiding from herself. And I don't mean to be going on and on about the Ted talk, but to me, it's such a, it's such a microcosmic example of the bigger pattern of Erica Jane, where it's like, She's fronting as if she's on this self-actualized journey because I guess on some level she's smart enough to know that she needs to speak to these parts of herself that are in hiding, but she's doing it in this way where she stays in hiding and the actual fracture just ends up deepening and the performance becomes a performance within a performance within a performance. Now, coming back to the original reason I brought this up, when she was speaking about Erica Jane coming out and how there are different people in her life, AKA like her family that started to have difficulty 
again, I just want to speak to the superficiality of the problems that she was presenting in this TED Talk of they're used to you being the wife and the mother who loves expensive spa treatments. And now they don't know how to handle you being this big body Erica Jane. Like that's her example of, you, you know, the kind of like conflict this creates. Um, but when she went into that, she takes this dramatic pause. The tears start to well up. She chokes on her words. And I got to tell you, Piper, I'm someone, even in parts of like the season of the show, kind of like you're saying, I, I vacillate between feeling like, okay, this feels completely inauthentic and off. And then there are moments where I'm like, okay, she feels like she's tapped into some emotion, but where is the emotion real? Where is it not real? When I watched her in this TED Talk, it was the first time I really felt just 100% kind of almost skeptical about her ability to fabricate kind of an emotional response. And what it felt to me like in that moment was you right now feel like a five-year-old girl who knows how to produce tears on cue. But the thing of it is, to me, again, it didn't feel like a conscious calculation. I didn't feel like this is Erica standing up there saying, okay, now I'm going to cry and I'm going to convince them of something. To me, my sense is, no, you feel like the little girl who believes her own tears. I believe on some level you believe your emotional response, but I still feel like your emotional response is a performance in this moment. And you are that cut off from your authentic emotional life that you don't even know anymore the distinction between your what's a real feeling and what's a performance. It's like a child actor who's learned to cry on cue. Exactly. And the question is, what do those tears elicit in others? What, what has she learned that they offer in connection with someone else? Does it get garner sympathy? Do people rally behind her? Does she get what she wants? You know, like what do those tears end up meaning for her? Because this is the place where I think she does cut off from the actual potential ability to let the emotion take her deeper within. Instead, she takes it, harvests the energy of it and uses it as a product to get something more. And that's where the performance comes in. It's like, I'm going to take this, I'm going to use it. And I'm not sure how intentional it is, how patterned it is, but I agree with you that there's something unconscious about how she makes meaning out of what these actually are for her. It's like she doesn't even get to have them first for herself to know where, where do they come from? What, what am I actually feeling? It's like, oh, here's tears. They do something for me. What is it? Right. Like the tears, the tears happen and she's so used to defaulting to where those tears can take her in connection or the response it can provoke in other people that she completely skips over yeah, what the tears even actually are for her in her own relationship with herself. Because she doesn't make room for them. Like she doesn't actually make room for where they could take her. Instead, she cuts them off in a way and starts performing them. And then it's like, this is not allowed for me. I'm not allowed to have this, but it's done something for me. Somehow it creates a little more space for me in connection. Maybe that's when people start listening to her. Maybe that's that's when she realizes she has some control again. It gives her 
slight loss of control, but she gains control in the performance and then harnessing something related to that performance. And that's where I lose her. That's where it's like, I can almost feel the emotion that happens spontaneously. Like in this last episode, for instance, like you can feel something's coming up, but where's it coming from? Is it because she's getting caught? Is it because somebody's pressing her? Is it because she's really sad? Is it because she's been holding this idea that Tom's been cheating on her all this time? Or is she now saying, oh, here's this feeling. Now I've got to create this story around. I, like, I don't even know what's real there because I don't think she does. Yeah. I, no, I agree with you. And there's a question I want to bring in. Uh, before I go into that question, though, it, you know, part of why I'm saying, you know, I, 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 in some ways feel concerned for her mental wellness is, you know, this past episode that, that did air where she got mad at Garcelle and kind of had that breakdown behind closed doors. Um, and even beyond that, I just want to say this episode in particular, really, I was noticing just all the contradictions in the different stories she's been weaving <laughs> since, you know, this season started airing about why she left Tom and what was going on. I mean, there have just been so many blatant contradictions and it's, it's, it's when I watch her, she just seems so lost to me. It, it's like, it's I, again, for me personally, I don't experience her as this calculated. Now I'm crafting my lie and it's time to weave my web. It's like, it's like, you seem like someone who is deeply fractured, who is struggling and scrambling <laughs> <laughs> to try to yeah write a narrative and to save yourself and to to engender sympathy all these things but it's like she's she's getting lost in her own hall of mirrors is what it feels like to me so i just want to say that but the question that i have is what i find so interesting is you know i agree with you with what you're saying like that there's this way that the tears come in this season and then there's a way in which it feels like it immediately shifts her into performance, even if there's some sort of authentic trigger behind it. But what I find so interesting is that we've not seen this particular side of her before the season. Like, this was never a woman in seasons past who was quick to start crying or to use tears in a manipulative way. We've certainly seen her be controlling, but we've not seen her specifically use tears. And it's almost felt like... Quite to the contrary, she's never wanted anyone to, like, see her in any kind of level of vulnerability uh, that she regards, I think, as powerless or people having power over her. So I, I just find that interesting because I feel like if you were listening to us speak about this, if you weren't familiar with Erica Jane already, you'd almost process this as, oh, well, this must be a woman, you know, who learned at an early age to use her tears in a manipulative way, and she uses them to get what they want, and that's what she's been doing throughout her whole life. But we've not seen this before this season, and I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that. Well, what comes up as you're talking about it is the layers upon layers of these personas and what it takes to hold that persona against the other realities that are trying to come in and show her what, what she's actually doing and creating. And so I feel it as a deep fatigue. I feel it as I can't do this anymore. Like this has been so painful to get further away from actually who I am, 
even though there are threads of who I really am in each of his personas, I'm, I'm disowning them in a way that like the pieces of me are in a persona locked mm-hmm. into a persona. Those personas are parts of her. Right. They're not a persona. It's not an act, but she's so invested in keeping the act alive that she actually can't energetically feel who she is in there. And I would imagine that is exhausting. I would imagine it is so incredibly painful. And now that life is reflecting back to her, this fragmented, distorted version and the hiding, the hiding that when you said that earlier, I'm like, here is a big theme in this whole picture. It's She's been hiding in the personas. She gets lost in the personas. She's been hiding in her marriage, apparently, and hiding parts of him to other people, apparently. (laughs) You know, like, I I don't know what the truth is really about all this stuff, but there's something about not revealing what's actually real for her in moments because she's invested in these personas or her husband or life is expecting her to live up to these personas in some way. So she can't just say what's really happening if she's in the persona. Yeah. And that's where her real self is. Yeah. You just, I, you helped me get so clear on something just now because yeah, part of my question in all of this, like this woman's had, you know, she's had her, she's been running her game for 20 some odd years, right? Like been in this marriage. It's been a successful marriage living the life, obviously paying a certain emotion and spiritual price for it. But in a way it's been working for her, you know, for 20 years and she's been building upon it and even building success as Erica Jane. And so part of my question and kind of holding what's the invitation here for Erica or what's this reflecting inside of her, I have been thinking about like, why now? You know, why did, why did, why did the, the, the house of cards all fall now in such a dramatic way? And I got one potential answer. And when I was listening to you, it's almost like, because just to sort of take it back a little bit, I've spoken to this before. I've actually, I made a video about this years ago. It was one of my first videos I made about the housewives. And I've talked about this before, but, um, I remember there was one particular reunion where Erica was just off the wall enraged and there was no explanation for it it wasn't connected to anything that had happened on the show she was get she was snippy with andy like she was just she was in one of her moods in her moments and i remember it was sort of everyone was talking about it it's like what was going on with erica what was going on with erica and i remember at the time my sense of it was my sense of it was okay she's on this show now she's starting to create and get more than a taste of the success that she's always wanted but she's still stuck in this gilded cage, right? It's She's now experiencing the kind of fame and success, success that she would have wanted on her own terms back in the day. But she's already made these agreements, right? So now she's coming up against what I would call the split in her, where she's starting to create her own success and her own creative flow, but meanwhile, on the other side of her life, she's still in this disempowering marriage where she made a choice to play a part of the soft-spoken, subservient wife. By the way, within that marriage, so that was a fracture right there. The very 
the very compartmentalization of her strong voice and her creativity for the sake of her husband, that's one fracture, right? Then the part of her that's smart enough to know how it looks, like the proud part of her that doesn't want anyone knowing she's made that choice. She's been running around acting like she's happy in the marriage. She's an empowered woman. She knows how it looks from the outside, but that ain't how it is. We're equals. There's another fracture. Then she gets on the show, right? You know, she's created Erica Jane. She gets on the show. Now she's having her own success in her own right. There's another fracture. And she, to me, it was exacerbating the tension between those two things of I'm starting to get a taste of what I've always wanted. I'm still on a leash. I've got to pretend I'm okay with all of this. It's like the fractures are getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's almost like what I'm getting from what you're saying, it's a perfect movie. It's like as, as, as the story develops, the dramatic conflict just gets deeper and deeper and deeper until it sort of reaches this boiling point because it's like her success keeps accumulating and accumulating. And I want to say it, it has not been lost on me that what was happening in her life right before the rug got pulled out from under her in a big way. She made it to Broadway. She fulfilled her creative dream. And I mean, okay. I feel like I'm saying a lot all at once. Hopefully you guys can bear with me. Cause if I'm going to go into the Chicago of it all, I got to go into Chicago. First of all, just the fact that she was on Broadway in a show about a woman <laughs> who is all about the fame, the performance does everything, you know, for the sake of the fame and that it becomes like a media feeding frenzy where it's all about how to frame the narrative for the sake of, you know, of her career and the show and the fame. I mean, that's the show she's in, by the way, I also want to point out about this. Just if we really want to get fucking creepy and weird about the synchronicity and the way that life and art are intersecting, She's in a show called Chicago. Do you know what city the original filing against Tom Girardi that like kind of was the first Jenga piece? It was Chicago. It was filed in Chicago. So she's in a play called Chicago. Chicago is where that first lawsuit that just sort of like, you know, really broke this whole thing open gets filed. And so anyways, the reason I'm saying all this, though, is like here she is at the height of her success as a performer. And then everything gets taken from her. And so when I'm taking all this in and I'm listening to what you were just saying, to me, it's like, oh, of course it makes sense that this is happening now. It's it's the tension of all those fractures accumulating, accumulating. And it's almost like, it, you know, it's like the old metaphor of a ship with all these holes and she's trying to plug all the holes, but more holes keep popping. And so it's like the more success she accumulates, the deeper the fractures have to go. Because she's, she's getting what she wants, but she's trying to control everything. And at a certain point, you can't, it, 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 it spirals out of your control. And it feels like that's what's happened. It's all, the tension of it all is blown up in her face. And now she is in complete lack of control. And life and art have intersected in this way that has become a nightmare of her own making. So it does seem to me, I, this is the last thing I'll say. I know I've said so much, but yeah, it just seems to me if I were looking at this, like her life as a symbolic dream, it does kind of feel like the woman who has been trying to control and juggle all these different narratives, 
literally being on a reality show where she's playing a part based on herself. <laughs> it's finally blown up in her face. Yeah. You did. You said so much. And I mean, so many things are happening as you're saying all of this. And I was, I was thinking about, you know, just our original opening of just holding space for her, you know, her goodness and maybe what she's come here to learn or, you know, the, the highest good of all of this. And the word that keeps coming to me is trust. When you're talking about all these fractures and splits, you know, like I always feel around splits, this place that we lose trust with ourselves, with others, or with life. And I'm thinking about how deep maybe an initial wounding must have been for her around betrayal or trust or something, because I get this feeling like I'm doing this on my own. I can never, ever really trust someone to really take care of me. And yet here's this first, like you said, the first sort of split I mean, I don't know what happened before she met. I don't, I don't know anything about Erica Jane, really her, her past, but this relationship with Tom, where she becomes essentially what others might see as a kept woman. She's literally investing her, her take on it is I'm, I'm choosing this. I'm doing this. And I'm, I'm the earner here. I'm, I've earned this lifestyle by whatever parameters tom if, if she was a trophy wife i don't know who she was to him in the beginning but in other seasons i really feel her capacity to care i think that she has a an ability to care and i think that that is a place that gets cut off over and over again inside of her because she she even now in this last episode there were parts of her that were talking about him, whether, whether it's false or not, I felt something real there where here's a man that she actually had feelings for, you know, she developed a 20 year relationship with and took care of in a certain way, whether it was just by being who he asked her to be, or, you know, she chose to, to play that part. And I think there's something about her, her caring here, you know, that you can go one way or the other. I don't give a shit about anything or anybody. And you do that out of this is too painful to care, or I'm, I care so deeply. I'm, I'm willing to do anything to sort of figure out how to, how to make this work. So my question is what, what, what does she care about? What really matters to her? Because it seems like fame and fortune was a big part of it, but behind that, it felt like I don't have to depend on anybody. I don't have to actually count on anybody. I've made it myself. You mean her investment in fame and fortune? Yeah. Like the, the reason fame and fortune maybe were so important to her. It wasn't really about fame and fortune. It was about autonomy and not having to rely on anything else. Mm -hmm. um, but yet like that house of cards that you were kind of illustrating, it's like, if you start out in your first investment is to become something for somebody else in order to get your leg up, you know, already your legs aren't on the ground, you know, you've got one leg up here and, what, and now you're doing splits. And now, you know, I don't know. I just <laughs> feel the place in her that just lost the essential drive. She got lost in the way that she was manifesting. Okay. I'm going to say a few things. I mean, one, I want to say, it's funny when the news 
of their divorce and also the lawsuits coming out against Tom Broke. I appear I was appearing on another podcast, Hot Takes and Deep Dives, and she kind of asked me to drop into Erica at that time. And Ooh. I remember it was really a twofold thing, and it, it speaks to exactly to what you're speaking to, where I felt uh, certainly the deep shock in Erica. Um, now that's you know when I say shock. That's not to say she didn't understand or know that some of this was coming. Uh, to me, I really experienced it as just the shock of, oh, this is actually happening. Like, this exactly. is actually happening. You know, this is unraveling. Whether, you know, look, I do know she was at least served twice before she divorced him, you know, for lawsuits relating to him. So she knew she knew something. You know, she knew there were some sort of rumblings. And, you know, maybe we'll get into more of that later. But... Still, I just felt this sense of shock of, holy shit, this is really happening. Holy shit, it's all spinning out from under me. And, but what I specifically felt, to your point, was this sense of betrayal from Tom of, like, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Like, you, yeah, you failed something here. This wasn't how it was supposed to turn out. It was that really deep sense of betrayal. And what I also felt in there, though, with the rage and the feeling of being betrayed, was this still this sense of compassion that she almost didn't want to feel towards this man who had been her, well, forgive the language, her partner in crime for 20 years, you know, and just the the place in her that, you know, loves him and has a soft spot for him and still understands what he did for her in that time. And just that push and pull, you know, that I hear you speaking to between um, exactly the price that she paid and also where she does actually care. Now, the other thing that I kind of want to say in all this, your exploration of this brings me back to an earlier season with her. And it brings me back to Dorit's first season when they had that their little tete-a-tete around um, Erica didn't wear panties. Dorit uh-huh. gave her a gift of panties in a very passive-aggressive way. Erica felt humiliated. That whole storyline was a place where I really felt a ton of compassion for Erica. Because part of what I remember, that storyline, PK and Dorit were very put off by what they described as Erica's coldness and her cold demeanor and you don't you don't you're not friendly and you're not warm and you don't say enough and da 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 and i i have to say whatever they they leverage those charges against erica i really felt her pain like that it hurt her it hurt her to hear this it hurt her to be criticized yeah in the place of her heart in her warmth and the vibe i got off it at that time was kind of like a kid who's been set up. It's like, yeah, I, I am guarded because some shit went down where I learned I had to protect myself. Someone betrayed me. Someone fucked with me. Someone pulled the rug out from under me. So guess what? I do have this heart. I care deeply. That got fucked with. So now I'm protecting myself. And now in the place where I'm simply trying to protect myself, you're pointing a finger at me and telling me there's something wrong with me. And it's almost like a double whammy wound Mm -hmm. and every time Dorit and PK pointed that finger at her I just experienced her as kind of freezing in the heart and again just feeling this real like this deep 
pain in her. And it's part of why, even though over the years she's just frustrated me and frustrated me, that's one point I've always come back to with her of like, it was just such an acute sense of vulnerability that really spoke to me. And then I think the other thing I just sort of mentioned in all of this, so I feel like there is a sacred relationship to performing in Erica. And like, that is a part of who she wants to be, right? Again, I mean, how could it be any other way when she's in Chicago and then her life becomes a living version of Chicago? This is a woman who is meant to perform. And it's almost like when I have dropped a little bit in to her and her relationship to performing, well, on an unconscious level, I feel the part of her like kind of keeping it arms bay, kind of saying, I'm never going to kind of risk all the way embodying the performer in an empowered way. And then when I got curious about that and was like, well, why if she, if she loves performing and if performing feels like who she is, what is that in her? And I did, I mean, it's what you spoke to. It's, I felt this flavor of there's some like her, the performer in her feels so connected to her heart and what she has to offer. And specifically that's some place where something happened. You know, it's like she got hurt there. She got used there. She got betrayed there. And it's almost like in the place where I experience her as a kind of like, let's say, Madonna or like a lady, like someone who's going to be performing in a body or a Sonia Morgan. Like it's sexual. It's dark. It's funny. It's quippy. It's like strong female energy and sexuality. It's almost like, um, look, I don't know what happened to her. But let's just say there's a way in which she got, I don't know, used, violated, slut-shamed, something like that where she kind of learned, oh, shit, I had this really rich, interesting energy connected to my heart. And I learned something, like I got this message that this got me into trouble or it was made wrong and there's no space for me to have my feelings about it. And so now I'm just going to kind of yeah, hoard it to myself and control it and compartmentalize it and try to like dabble my toe in it, but without ever risking that same heartache again. And so it's just interesting because I think you're right, right? Because part of Erica's persona, and I think what's driven a lot of us crazy is that she seems so invested in these shallow material things, even while you sense that underneath that there is some heart. And it's kind of like what I was saying with her TED talk. Her examples were so superficial, like, Oh, mom, we're used to you liking expensive spa treatments. And now you're Erica Jane or even Erica Jane. You create this persona to express this wild part of yourself. And the songs are, it's expensive to be me. This is the most superficial, shallow iteration of all this. But what I love about what you're bringing in, it's almost like, well, one, it feels like kind of like a cover, right? It's like, let me keep this superficial so I don't have to be connected to the true creative energy in me. But then I also like what you're saying about, to me, wealth kind of means autonomy, which means I'll never have to, yeah, go through this pain, this humiliation, this suffering again. Yeah. And I think that's when I was saying earlier about not having room for her own pain. It's like when it surprises her and comes out, it's like she grabs it. She's like, if I hear it underneath, she's made a decision somewhere in her life. I will never, ever let this type of pain affect me or destroy me in the way that it feels right now. So anytime that pain starts, maybe started to surface or, or activate or open, it's like that control, I'm going to take this and I'm going to use it and it's going to get me somewhere. 
And she, I think ultimately because pain and love and I don't know, all those kind of primary emotions, grief, like, you know, the things that are actually real. When we connect with other people around that, it does connect us. It does slow us down. So I think she on some level understood that, understood the connecting force of it. And then for whatever reason, and this is my question, it's like, what, what drives her? Is the drive never to feel pain again? Or is the drive to actually be able to use the pain that she's had in her life as a, a source of connection and empowerment for other people? Oh, you know, no way. Well, well, you mean on a conscious I mean, level or a non I mean higher level? self. Oh, I higher mean, self. I, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We did mention we wanted that in here. Oh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah she's she's not it. conscious of any of that yet. You know, she's still in process. Look, the woman's still in process. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, God bless you if you're holding out hope for her, too. Um, oh, I always hold out hope. I mean, look, I hold out for hope for people, too. But I, I guess I'm also a realist. And I, I mean, look, I would love for nothing more mm-hmm. than for, for any of these women. I mean, you know. Jen Shaw is still maintaining her innocence, <laughs> uh, which, you know, innocent until proven guilty. But um, all of these people, and not just the housewives. I mean, this is why I do what I do. I, I support people taking responsibility for their lives and their choices and for getting into reality about the choices they've made and why in the vulnerable places that will take them so they can heal something inside themselves. Oh, my God. Yes, I, I want that for Erica. Absolutely. I guess I'm just looking at how willful her conscious mind has been up until now and how stubborn she has been and how deep the refusal to ever feel powerless again has been. And especially now that she is in the spectacle, in the spotlight of her own making, where all these eyes are on her. And it's interesting, Piper, because even when, um, you know, I'm just thinking back to PK, PK and Dorit pointing that finger at her. And being like, you're so cold. And that compassion I feel for her in the place where she feels misunderstood. And I even look at what's organizing around her right now. Uh And, you know, I want to be really clear. I think she, I think she's her own worst enemy. (laughs) So, you know, I think she contributes a lot to how people are seeing her with her contradictory narratives, with her performative emotions. You know, I don't know if you follow her at all on Instagram, but she's part of what's been going on is she's been really not doing herself any favors by, um, I mean, the way that I experience it on an unconscious level, much like with Jen Shaw, there's kind of a fuck you in it. She's continued to keep up her social media presence, posting glamour shots of her, you know, while, you know, obviously it's just so tone deaf, right? Because Look, I want to say something here. I don't think I don't think there's any way that she can speak about the legal matters because a lot of what people are saying are kind of like she hasn't said one word about the victims. She hasn't said one word about the widows and the orphans. But, you know, for me, I'm just kind of like, of course not. Of course not. I mean, first of all, I'm sure she's being advised not to say anything. And also, yeah, if you are embroiled in a scandal and they might be coming after you, you don't say anything publicly that could incriminate you. Now, having said that... Not only is she not saying anything, which I think is probably like the way to go with where she's at right now, but she's then posting these glamour shots. She's performing. She's performing. Exactly. And to me, it does feel very much like, oh, I'm unbothered. You're not going to see me down. I'm going to keep going. Fuck you. I'm Erica Jane. 
you know, which to me, it just, even as I say it, it feels so emotionally immature. It feels like a rebellious adolescent, you know, who's trying to like, you know, puff up her chest. But the reason why I'm saying all this, it's like, you know, the truth of the matter is when you look, you look at this behavior, these are big contributors to why a lot of people are now pointing fingers at her, kind of saying like, we absolutely think you knew what happened. You're heartless. You're horrible. You know, basically you're as bad as your husband. You know, maybe this is a moment for us to just explore maybe what we both personally believe about what she did or did not know. You know, personally, my feeling is kind of like, you know, I don't really see Tom Girardi sharing with her the details of what he was doing, especially I have done my research. Apparently, this was a man who, first of all, apparently his own law firm so partners didn't know what was going on. Like, I think they're suing him in part because, you know, he drove the firm into the ground that they partly owned. Also, he apparently was the sole accountant. I mean, it, literally, he was the one, like, in his office with a pen and a piece of paper. Like, this man was a control freak. And certainly what we're learning about the imbalance of power in their marriage, I just don't see a point where this man sat Erica down and said, hey, Erica, let me tell you about what's going on with our money. You know, I, I think just to speak to other things that people have brought up, a lot of people are bringing up the fact that she, you know, there were documents that she signed connected to his embezzlement and, like, the way that he was moving money around. For me, still, I look at that and I'm like, look, if you're in a marriage where someone else is managing all the money and they put a form in front of you and say, sign this, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fucking sign it. So this is just me saying I'm not convinced. I've seen no evidence that she knew the extent of how cold his crimes were and how destructive they were. But the reason why I'm saying that is let's just presume for a moment she really didn't know about that stuff. And now here she is, though, again, a lot through her own folly and her own pride and her own kind of fumbling through her fractured personas. She's got the whole world pointing fingers at her saying, you fucking bitch. You know, you don't care about widows and orphans. You're this horrible person. And it just reminds me again, like I said, of Dorit and PK pointing these fingers at her being like, you're cold. You're heartless. You're unfeeling. You don't say anything. Isn't that interesting? Like, Dorit literally said, you don't say enough. And now the world's kind of saying, you don't say enough. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of get the sense of Erica kind of over there being like, I'm just trying to protect myself. Exactly. And I, I also, the word that keeps coming to me here is humiliation. Yeah. There's some theme in all of the sort of episodes where she you know, maybe doesn't cry, but loses her shit, gets, gets that look on her face that I said <laughs> at the very beginning, oh, I just saw her face. It's like, if you fucking humiliate you, me, you are going to pay. I am going to take you down and I don't care what's going to get in my way. Like that is a feeling that I have. Like I will not face this humiliation. And yet here it keeps showing up again. I, I would imagine this is deeply humiliating for her. Oh yeah. And that would be something that she's not going to show. I'm not going to let people see this humiliation. So here's, I'm going to hide it. Yeah. That's what I meant by the Instagram post. It's kind of like, oh no, 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 I'm not yeah. humiliated. I'm, I'm unbothered. I'm not humiliated. Exactly. You, you don't have the power to do that to me because I'm going to control the narrative here. And I'm going to do that by performing in some way that takes me further away from my vulnerability the actual, this is maybe what she needs is some humility, you know, some deep humility. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, this is based on this conversation. It's like, what's the deeper invitation? Well, first of all, yeah. fucking give it up already. Like, dr- let the balls drop. 
like surrender the narratives, but yeah, feel the powerlessness, feel the humiliation. Yeah, I agree with you. There is this deep sense of powerlessness and humiliation that I think she has been protecting against this whole fucking time. The first step she took in marrying someone like him, the first step that she took to say, this is my path forward to gain control. It reminds me of like in in our work that we do, like when you come to that place that says, I'm going to let you think you're controlling me, but I will never, ever give my control, right? Like that's such a deep lower self statement. I'm never really ever going to let you control me. I'm going to make it look like I am. What's so funny is I, you know, I was thinking back to, I was thinking back to my first appearance ever on Bitch Sesh and I was remembering actually the first housewife they asked me about was Erica. So in a way, yeah. So in a way I was like, oh, my first, like the, the beginning of this whole journey I'm on started with an Erica thing. But I remember, you know, I was sort of talking about a relationship to Tom and I remember feeling at the time and I feel that, feel it to this day that with Tom, to your point, it's like, for me, I, for me at that point, I mean, now, obviously, it obviously was playing a huge factor. I wasn't so drawn to the money stuff of marrying this rich man. But what I was really drawn to was this marriage that felt to me like, you know, it wasn't lighting her up sexually. And that, in a way, I felt like the split between her heart and her pelvis And, you know, if I were to picture her with someone who was more of an energetic match, it'd be like, oh, well, then you'd be lit all the way up and you'd be surrendered. And it almost felt like a way for her to be in control. It's like, yeah, I'll be in this marriage where certain parts of me get to stay shut off. And, yeah, to your point, on the outside and in a way, yeah, it it looks like and it is him in control because he's the older man with the money who's calling the shots. But it also allows me to stay in control of something inside myself and you know to bring your your peace into it tom will never have access to all this and then meanwhile i'm going to create a character where i can funnel and control my sexual energy and compartmentalize it onto a stage i can control it mikey and i can control that together but when it comes to being at home the lights are off you're never getting all of me tom and we can both be control freaks together (laughs) (laughs) under the same roof and even in this persona where it's looking like i get to really free up all this energy and and be empowered there's still again that performative because let's face it you know sexually to be empowered to be able to really connect in that way with yourself and with others there is a need to surrender to let go And I don't feel like in her Erica Jane performances, I didn't experience her as letting go at all. There was no letting go in that. No. And I think one of the things I'm also drawn to about this, and this actually feels like an important point, even though it's going to sound like me kind of just being cheeky. You know, she calls it an art project. It's music. It's this. It's performance. Let's be honest. It's not that good. Right. I mean, she's not, it's not that good. But the reason why I'm saying that is because, yeah, it's literally a performance because it is a performance art piece, but it's like even within the performance, it's performative. It's, it's pat the puss. You know what I mean? It's, it's just this sort of crude, basic representation of 
a version of empowered sexuality, but it's totally hollow and empty and it's just banal. It doesn't feel like she's not even channeling. It'd be one thing if she were channeling her inner sexuality and yeah, this is just the space where she gets to do it and she's in control because it is in service of her art, but it's, she's so tightly wound that even within the context of the art project, she's still not letting it through in a real way. It's her and Mikey playing dress up. She just becomes her own Barbie. It's like sex Barbie. Oh, so bad. It's never lost on me that sexuality is such a huge part of her persona and the fact that she does compartmentalize her sexuality and even the Dorit PK thing, it was about not wearing panties. Like there was this sort of slut shaming quality to that whole argument. You know, I'm always looking at the patterns and the symbols, right? I guess I just bring that up because when I do kind of dream back into lessons Erica learned kind of around the performer and her, her creative energy you know, and there's no way for us to like know whether or not this is true. Like, but I often do. It's sort of like, I'll just say it this way. If I were in a reading with her, I would maybe be asking questions about kind of like, was there some experience of, it feels like she got hurt in a place specifically around sexuality, sexual energy, what it means to be a woman. And oh, the reason why I bring this up too, is because, you know, when you were really talking about that sense of humiliation. And to be honest, I feel like she got it from both men and women, mm-hmm. probably in separate experiences, but it almost feels like in different ways. <laughs> yeah. Like that there was some sort of, you know, really like an experience of deep betrayal and humiliation and powerlessness in relationship to men around her sexuality that I feel in some way it, at the very least got translated in her mind as somehow connected to the creative in her, the performer in her. And then it's almost like from the women, kind of like what Dorit was doing, the slut shaming. You're that type of girl. And I just feel like the power, like the voice I'm hearing around the powerlessness is, I mean, just quite simply, it is not fair. And kind of like, I'm good. Like I do have this big heart. There's something I want to do here. That's good. And I've been violated and slut shamed like a, fingers pointed at me and it is not fair and it's like in the place where she is strong too and has this force of will to not be able to like express that and assert that to me it's just the the ensuing powerlessness and humiliation it to me as her it just feels intolerable i will not feel this as long as people are getting away with it i will not feel it it's kind of like with the instagram thing you're not, I'm unbothered. I'm not going to let you see me down. It's almost like she's speaking to them. Like if they're getting away with this, I'm not even going to feel it because if I feel it, it's like somehow they've won. I'm not letting you get the best of me. I'm not letting you see me get down. So I am never feeling this. It's almost like if I feel this humiliation, it's conceding something to you all over again. And this is the last piece of protection I have against whatever these experiences were. Mm-hmm. Well, look, she's beautiful, right? I mean, she's a, she's a beautiful woman. And I would imagine she was a good looking child, you know, and it's like that age old, I mean, how many times has this been played out in coming of age movies, or, you know, it's, it's a storyline where, you know, in adolescence, you like a boy, and he's a 
powerful guy on campus and he tells a story about you, you know, that he had sex with you or, you know, something happened that didn't, that didn't happen. But all the other girls that love this boy too are now like, you're a slut. And all the other boys are saying you're a slut and we want more from you. And so I can just feel that maybe part of, not that it had to happen that way, but there's a narrative that Mm -hmm. I can feel in here where, yeah, I'm misunderstood. I actually have genuine feelings for this person and they betrayed me. Like it just feels like that. Yes. Oh my God, Piper. (laughs) This is why I love you. Uh, You're so right. I just feel the truth of that. And I'm going to, I'm going to write an additional wrinkle in the story that feels energetically true to me. Cause I do know she went to like theater arts school and stuff like that. And it's almost like the girls who don't like her for shining bright. And then the rumor gets planted and they run with it. And so it's like, she pays this price, not only for liking the boy, but for also being the star performer. Like there's like a creative injury in there too. Yes. 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 Oh, this feels so good. <laughs> I mean, I it doesn't I mean I feel bad for her, but I just this feels so energetically true. Possible. Yeah, it just there's something about it. I'm like, this feels like the flavor of it to me. I have a feeling that she learned that what people want from her is something around her sexuality, what mm-hmm. it does for them. And so she I mean, it's interesting that this was the persona that she did create. It could have been a a political persona. It could have been a million (laughs) different things, but this was the one that she chose, which is probably in some way an attempt to explore who she is sexually. Cause I feel like something happened at an early enough age. Cause when I feel her, I don't feel her as sexual. I feel her as sexualized. You know what I'm saying? The difference. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I've always said like Erica Jane to me, that persona, that to me, if I think about Erica integrated, sexually it ain't erica jane i mean that again it feels like a a high school girl's version of empowered sexuality exactly exactly i mean i i think about performers who i think are like at least women that are bring their sexuality through you know shakira or it doesn't feel like her sexuality is infused in her performative Erica Jane, highly sexualized. I just can't feel her there. It's the least sexual sexualized. Yeah. You know, it's like a pole dance, but even not even. Yeah. She's not even naked. (laughs) At least a pole, like a stripper is actually like showing the good. You know what I mean? It's like, this is like a sanitized, sexless, neutered Disney version of sexuality. Like a character. What? What's that one um, Disney character? Jessica Rabbit. But Jessica Rabbit's sexier than... (laughs) (laughs) This is true. (laughs) She is infused with something, yeah. No, it's... it's, And I think that's why it's so sad. Well, and what I think is interesting, too, it's, you know, as far as the binds and the fractures, it's also like you are out there as an artist, right? And so theoretically, an artist... The intention behind it, I think, it it should be bringing you deeper into connection with what's true in you so that you can offer that to the world and help people connect to that truth of themselves. And so even there, it's like I'm going towards the art to kind of prove something or to access a part of myself, but I'm going to do it in this way where I continue to bypass what's really going on inside me. 
So there's like another what, fracture. What allows you to do that, Erica, in this way that you're stepping into art to sort of discover something about yourself? How is it that you still stay away from what it's here to offer you? Because it's almost like, I mean, I feel like if I can succeed in the art without ever going back into the powerlessness and the humiliation, it's like, that's the place where I win. Right. It's like, you didn't take the art from me. And I also didn't feel the humiliation because if you think about it, right. As an artist, like I said, it should invite her into vulnerability. Yeah. It's like, I can feel that place. Like where people are so invested in doing, doing, doing instead of being, you know, how much they miss of their actual selves because the energy, the, the drive, all of it comes from the doing, like even people that are meditating, you know, like, oh. <sighs> thank you for saying that. Because do you know, I still, to this day, I don't meditate. And the reason why is I know if I were to meditate, I would use it. It would become a tool for me to do something. Exactly. And exactly. I, I've felt guilty about that for so long. And I just recently really, aligned with that inside myself and realized, no, you're right. Like, because actually what I've been doing lately, I've been going for a lot of long walks lately and I sort of do, sometimes I make them into walking meditations, but I just realized like, no, you're really right about that. You really, uh, that was something I knew for myself. I would use this as a way to get somewhere. Um, and I felt a lot of freedom around finally just agreeing with myself there. And so hearing yeah. you say that, I'm like, oh, you're reflecting back to me my my own permission to to not meditate for for now. <laughs> and it's not to not meditate for now, it's to actually feel your life as a an active meditation. Exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. is what yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I've been doing. Um well, you know what I thought was so interesting too cuz you spoke a little bit ago about kind of those flashes of anger and then the face that she'll make, right? Like that you saw at the beginning of this episode. And it brought me back to I think they were did they go to Germany? They went to some European country and I remember it was some dinner where Teddy basically said something about Erica having pretend amnesia. And that was one of the moments where Erica was like, don't you ever talk about pretend amnesia again? And she went off the rails. And I was kind of thinking about that in this moment. And it's like, it's so interesting. Like, what's the what's the through line with some of this anger? And it's almost like, you know, essentially what Teddy was saying, Teddy was basically calling Erica out in a place where Erica was full of shit. Cause you know, sometimes Erica's words and actions don't match. And she says one thing when in reality, that's not what's really going on. But again, another fracture, she always presents herself as a woman who, you know, I don't give a fuck. I'll say whatever, you know, again, I'm unbothered. I mean, what I say, I say what I mean. And so it's just interesting to me to think about. Yeah. I think the place where she really got triggered there was when someone was shining a light on the fracture and the yep. gap between what she's presenting herself as and what actually is. Because in that gap, that's where her world gets threatened. Exactly. And what's in there? What are you hiding in there? Because, oh, for me, it's like this is where you get to meet yourself. There's so much richness there. And yet for her, there's something that she's hiding. Should I just slow it down, like even in that moment and just kind of feel what if, if, if she's out there with Teddy, right? And Teddy's calling something, calling out this double standard or this inconsistency and I'm Erica. And if I actually take Teddy in, 
Well, it's hard because I just so immediately feel defensive. Like, meaning my dukes are up. Like, this place where something's getting exposed. Yeah, it's obviously... I'm not experiencing it as this casual... Because, you know, I mean, I feel like you even see this in Housewives all the time where maybe someone calls out an inconsistency. I feel like Vicky sometimes got really good about this where by the end of her tenure, she was like, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? You know, you she could play it off like that. Like, yeah, you know what? I did say that. Whatever. It doesn't feel that way to Erica. Again, I think this is about the misunderstood finger pointing energy. It's like, oh, shit, she's she's pointing something out here about me. I, what are you defending? I, First, I have to be with the defensiveness. So let me just feel it for a second. It's like, yeah, I got to protect myself. I got to survive. So yeah, if I drop that guard, yes, I did this. So first, I have to acknowledge I postured. I postured. I have to acknowledge, it's hard for me to say as Erica, I have to acknowledge my bark is worse than my bite. I'm pretending to be something I'm not. I'm pretending to be tougher than I am. I care what people think. I get scared sometimes. I get put on the spot and I say something to cover my ass. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of goes back to what we were saying before. I care. I care about people. Like, I care about what people think and I care about people. Mm -hmm. And I'm scared. I'm scared to be in a relationship, you know, from a place of unguarded caring. And that's where I I have that question. Like, if you were Erica, if you you let yourself drop into her, what what do you need? Okay. Let me just, so what do I need here? I mean, I, like, I'm just going with the answers that come to me and we can see if we can yeah. make sense out of them. But I mean, the first thing I heard was just, I need to go so slowly, you know, like I'm not rushing into relate. Like you do, like I, you have to earn my trust. That's it. I need to learn how to trust. And first I have to know what that looks like for me. Like, how do I even trust myself if I can't leave room for the things that I'm actually feeling and not scooping them up and using them. It's almost like she's become her own, you know, when you hear about people that internalize depression, for instance, you know, like that term gets used a lot right now where they've been oppressed for a long time. So then they become the oppressor of their own energy. There's something um, that feels related to that for me here. It's like, I will never be able to trust anybody unless I can actually trust that what I feel is okay. That what I feel can't be taken away from me, can't be used against me. And the only way that that would happen is if I actually allowed myself to have it and protect it in a way that isn't, you know, splitting and pretending and performing, but actually being vulnerable in those places. Like, yes, this is me. This is really me. And I think understanding as the adult, you know, obviously there, I mean, if we trust what's coming through in this space, when she was younger, there was some experience or experiences of being powerless to have the space to express what needed to be expressed and to have her boundaries and to say no and to say, I don't like this. Obviously, that space didn't exist and to start to learn and understand as an adult, she actually does have the power to create that space for herself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, we all do this, right? This is the work of, of, of consciousness and working on ourselves, but we form these connections in the childhood place or in the adolescent place where we, we associate an experience. So for example, if I got picked on a lot 
And at the time, I was powerless to say something. I was powerless to stand up for myself. And then it was an experience of humiliation. And it's like I carry that imprint with me into adulthood of like that similar experience. It's it's going to have the same energetic imprint again. But the truth is now as an adult, you know, there are things that I can say. You know what I mean? Or if I couldn't defend myself against the parent who was doing things. I didn't like now I get to be an adult in a relationship and to go back to people and say, Hey, I didn't like that, you know, and, and advocate for myself and have conversations. And, you know, it's, it's not the same set of circumstances. Exactly. And to be willing to see that the lens that you are looking through is frozen and it might actually not be what's happening in the, the current situation. Sometimes it is. And you can, like you said, sort of change the narrative around it, but oftentimes it's so deeply embedded that that's all you can see. Um, I'm thinking about if there was something you just said that reminded me of this, this piece with Garcelle in, in this last episode where Garcelle basically said, I, I see that there's this hard, you know, shell exterior and underneath that you're actually, there's some fragility there. And, you know, Erica had a moment with her that it was like Garcelle said, I know that because I know who I am and I see that in you. And I'm thinking about Garcelle's questioning that came in. I don't know how that whole thing went down. It felt sort of, it, it felt like the producers might've been involved in that Piper, somehow based on. Oh my God. You're so, you don't even know how intuitive you are. It's come out that there was producer driven FYI. <laughs> the producers the were questioning. Yeah. Producers that Garcelle actually wasn't even there for the whole conversation. And producers were apparently baiting her. Like saying, Garcelle, ask Erica about this. And that's a big part of why Ah. Erica was getting so mad. And apparently her crying behind the door was actually part of her screaming at the producers because she was so pissed. She felt set up. After when, when she went into the bathroom after. Yeah. I've watched that whole thing a couple times because I'm like, there's something more happening here because, um, what, uh, Crystal was saying something like you weren't there. We were talking about this very thing. And you weren't there. You weren't there to hear that Erica said, I don't want to talk about it, but I don't remember. I I rewound to say, where, where was that part? I don't remember that part. So I thought maybe somehow this, this was being talked about in their private moments or something. And then somehow Garcelle wanted to ask more questions about it. But the way Garcelle asked her, Erica saw it through this lens of I'm you're trying to humiliate me or you're trying to get something from me that is guarded and I don't want to give you. And why the fuck are you doing that? You know, there was, it was so strong against Garcelle and Garcelle looked kind of like, Whoa, I I don't, there's something that I was like, is Garcelle trying to do something here? Or is this driven by some, I, I always look at things now from this production point of view because it's a show well yeah. i'm curious though in the place where you felt erica having like a very specific response is there a specific flavor to erica's response yeah, it, that you're aware of that that piece about being used or being misunderstood because garcelle asked her something like did you know about this before you filed for divorce or something like that? And Erica was like, fuck you for asking that question. I don't know that that's what I heard, even though she didn't say that, but it was like, uh, no, I didn't. 
And then at the table, when Garcelle said, I hope you don't mind me saying this piece that Tom's calling you all the time. I was like, oh, that's kind of benign, but I guess that's not supposed to be happening. She's not supposed to be. I I felt like maybe this was getting too close to her case and she wasn't supposed to be talking about these things. Maybe she'd been instructed by attorneys not to have this come out. And now this was sort of being exposed. So something she was trying to keep close to her vest and hidden. And then she allowed herself some, okay, these are my girlfriends. These are people that know me. I'm relaxing a little bit. I'm, I'm broken. I can't hold all this by myself anymore. I'm sharing it. And then it's getting used. So it's betrayed trust again. Yes. From women, you know, and not just women, this show that she's on, like, you know, there's, there's something about her story getting used. Yeah. And as you're talking, what also comes to me in some ways, this is stating the obvious, but it's still really helpful for me to contextualize everything. It's like, I just, I'm thinking about how she's been, you know, she sort of came onto the season, right? Suddenly talking about her bad marriage when, you know, in the past, you know, you could never get her to, you know, concede a moment's uh, kind of doubt or, you know, displeasure with her marriage. And it's almost like, you know, I, I did, I, I put this up on an Instagram post and where I, I said, um, I believe every detail she's sharing about her unhappy marriage. I just don't believe that's why she filed for divorce. And yeah. um, it's just interesting in context of this conversation. It's sort of almost like, it's almost like what we were saying about the tears being used and like this notion of performance. It's like she's using the real stuff as part of her performance this season for the show. And it's like, it really is that question of where does the performance begin and where does it end? Where does real life begin and where does it end? And is there any difference between the two? Again, the Chicago of it all, I'm literally playing a part. I'm playing this character in Chicago that is totally predicting my own life. I mean, and then when I say that, I kind of get excited for her because what I feel in terms of the higher self, I'm like, holy shit, Erica, you are a fucking storyteller. Like, you are a storyteller. You are meant to be telling stories. I mean, that is what she's doing, right? In the distorted version of it, she's telling stories, right? And then it, yes. What matters to you, Erica? What do you want to be telling the world? What does the world need to hear from you? So that's, yeah, That the question I would bring in is if this woman were willing to let the cards fall, to feel her humiliation, and to learn how to trust to return to like the sensitive part of her that cares about others from that place. It's like, what stories would you want to tell and how would you want to tell them? And that's the, I think it's even interesting that she calls herself a performance artist, right? Or she calls Erica Jane performance art. Cause to me, I mean, I don't think it's worthy of being called performance art, but it's almost like, but you might be on to the flavor of whom you actually are, that you might be this person who would create really interesting performance art about like real life and personas and narratives and being on reality TV and what's real and what's not real. The problem is right now it's running you (laughs) rather than you running it. And I don't, this is the question, right? Does she know that? No, (laughs) she does not. I can tell you that very clearly. She's, that's what I'm saying. She's lost in the hall of mirrors right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why I fear for her mental wellness. And you're saying that even through this, cracking she's hanging on to the splits and not the space that's in between oh yeah she can't i think well first of all look 
the situation's so dire. Of course, it's going to be hard for her to see the, the forest through the trees. Like, I don't even know how she would navigate that for herself. I mean, maybe if she worked with support from Jamie Stein. Well, <laughs> it's so funny. Someone, the my guest, uh, my last guest, Deanna, we were talking about Sonia Morgan, and she was like, "How do we get Sonia to work with you?" And my response was like, "She never would." I sort of feel the same way about Erica, but maybe, maybe I should not put that in the universe. Maybe I should don't put it out there. I don't guess when I look there. at these women. I, I, Look, I, like I said, I really do feel supportive of all these people and really everyone in the world doing their work. So I would love to support them if they were willing. But um, I guess it's like, yeah, when I see how stubborn they are, there's this part of me that's like, would they ever step into work? That really is about self-responsibility. But maybe you're saying something here. I mean, I want to be clear. This isn't about me actually working with Erica, but maybe there's something for me to look at that voice in me that immediately wants to say Erica would never. never work with me or come here and do that because who knows maybe you're right maybe there is maybe there's some part of her that's that's ready you know and maybe we are even I mean I I feel this on some level like maybe we're creating even just in this exploration some sort of window or opening for something to come through in her consciousness you know, because we are, we're winning. I mean, again, and I actually want to reiterate this. I, 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 I've said this before. I think it's good for me to say this every so often. I hold all of this as playful exploration. I do uh-huh. not know these women. They're not uh-huh. here. It's based on edited TV shows. My intention is for my listeners to hear this stuff and to reflect upon themselves and their own lives. So please understand that this is playful exploration. And I'm also not going to play coy and say, I don't think there's any truth to what comes through. In fact, I know there's some truth that comes through because, I mean, quite frankly, because I've started hearing from people who are involved with these shows and know these women. And, and, and I've even heard from some housewives at this point, you know, letting me know that what I'm saying is landing with them. So in that place where I think there can be some truth that comes through, even though we're holding this all lightly and playfully and with respect, you know, we're, we're witnessing something here. We're creating space for these different parts of Erica. And, you know, maybe that will have an impact in some way. It's some unseen way for her. I feel like I got so far afield from uh, where we I started. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I kind of, I, I like hearing what you're saying because it is fundamentally for me, one of the things I've been looking at a lot is you know, why do I even watch these shows? What do I get out of this? What am I doing with my work? All, all the things that you and I talk about on, you know, in other ways all the time. I'm not necessarily an optimist. I'm not always in reality, but I'm a big fan of finding optimism in reality. And I think that if we draw conclusions based on what's happening, as opposed to staying open to possibility, we might as well just stop, yeah. you know? Yeah. So let's 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 approach this and and all things really from a place of this is a process and this might be a really crappy part of the process for her and maybe it will take her somewhere and maybe she'll never open up but it's possible that these type of things are the very thing that cracks something open enough to say yes I need to look at this. You're right. And you know it's interesting cuz I was even thinking about that last episode I did about Sonia Morgan and I was kind of talking through kind of the journey that I would see Sonia would have to go on in order to kind of open up more of herself. And my guest Deanna at the time was saying, well, that's a big ask, you know, it's a big ask to have her, you know, 
claim and own her rage and entitlement in a conscious way and then to feel the heartbreak, you know, the place where she's not going to be rescued. And I was thinking about that afterward and I was like, you know, I actually, I mean, I understand why someone would say that. And I feel like for all of us, before we start doing that work, it does feel like a big ask. But I think, you know, and I think you would agree with this once you do start doing that work. And then also once you hold that space for others to do that work, actually, the point is it, it really isn't a big ask. And it's very possible, again, like you're saying, with support, you know, to simply mm -hmm. feel your feelings and to take ownership of them and to claim what's real and true for you on a deeper level. It actually, that's the good news. We think it's a big ask. We're so scared of it because of what we learned about it in our youth or in our, you know, the earlier parts of our lives. But the truth is present day, it is possible. And I was really thinking about that, like in the last few weeks and just thinking about Sonia and watching her on TV and being like, even someone like Sonia, who, you know, to me can feel, you know, pretty, what I would call split and splintered. It's like, I, I do believe in the power of if she were really willing to consciously own her entitlement and her anger and to see where that would take her. I think she could have miraculous results in her life, you know? So I guess, I guess this is my way of agreeing with you. I think, I do think, I think part of the, where the skepticism comes in when it comes to housewives is understanding, you know, for someone like Erica, I will say it's a big ask for her to hold that consciousness in a process like this because it is so dire. It is so larger than life. And for someone who cares so much about how things look, and not being humiliated. Uh -huh. It's being played out on such a public spectacle. And she's really fighting in a lot of ways for her survival right now. So this is an experience where if she were to do work like this, it is going to ask her to move into such a deep level of faith and surrender, which she's never wanted to do. Now, you and I both know that is exactly where the healing would be. But I also see why it would make it so hard. For her. But the thing with Erica, you know, in terms of the mounting fractures, I'm just kind of like, if you don't do it at some point, I just feel like this like teeter tottering tower of disaster. Yeah. It's just too much get, to hold. It's going to get worse and worse. Absolutely. One of the things that I'm so aware of in all of this is the fact that, you know, because we're exploring issues of control, power, all that stuff. This could have gone a different way. It could have just been, okay. Turns out Tom was cheating on me. He left me with nothing. Oh, that's so embarrassing. That to me is like the garden variety version of how this could have gone. This isn't what happened. This was widows. It was orphans. It was embezzlement. It was crime. It was, you know, Tom's own split identity. And, you know, and again, I go back to the Chicago of it all. Murder. You know, it's sensationalism. It's tabloids. It's headlines. So... I just get curious, again, thinking about kind of if I'm interpreting life as a dream, as I always do, and if there's meaning and symbols and patterns, do you make anything of just the sordid, salacious nature of how this all unraveled? Like, what do you think that is for her in terms of her psyche, her personal archetype symbolism? <laughs> like, what do you have any sense of what that is? Like, why is this the flavor of this unraveling? Mm, it feels like such a big question. Like as you were talking about it, I was thinking about the depth, like the depth of this distortion. And then, you know, like an, an opposing the possibility or the potential that comes from that opposition or that like she's, this is 
big. I said this earlier, like there's something really big about this and it's so complex and it's so compartmentalized. And so there's something about this splitting and incongruency and, and integrity or lack of integrity that I can only imagine that this rides in on something very deep for her that she came here to learn mm-hmm. about trust, about integrity, about exposure. And because it's so sorted, like you said, and big, I just, I just feel like she came here to learn something. I don't know what to say here. It's, it feels big. It just feels big. Well, and listening to you talk, there are two things that come to me. I mean, it's interesting. Oh, I love I, I, it's funny. I, I start having fun. I think. I think this to me again. We we started off talking about Erica's higher self, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in the place where I feel this relationship to storytelling and character and drama, it's fun, you know. And I feel Erica's fun, you know. And oh, she is very fun. Because what I was about to say was, oh, I, I'm about to say something, so you'll understand in a moment. But. I'm about to say what I'm about to say. And I was like, oh, this is reminds me of when I was a script consultant, like working with people around their stories and their characters. And I was like, and then I was like, oh, of course, of course, I would suddenly remember the script consultant in me because we're dealing with Erica, the storyteller and narratives. Like it all makes sense. But you know what I was going to say was, yeah, it's almost like if you're crafting this like a, a, a dramaturgist or like a dramatist or a playwright, um, a writer. It's kind of like if you want Erica to be in this situation where fingers are pointed at her, where it's about, yeah, kind of questioning your integrity, questioning your character, uh, perhaps feeling deeply misunderstood in such a deep way and, and, yeah, having people point the finger at you, that can't just be, oh, it's Tom cheating on me and that's embarrassing. It has to be something where you could be thought of as culpable and complicit in order to create that charge of you did something wrong and you're bad. Uh, So that feels like a part of it. Um, Actually something else entered when I was saying that too, which was like, also if there's something she needs to learn here, Oh man, (laughs) I'm getting tired. It all does feel so big, but it's like, if there's something she needs to learn here around, you know, pun intended, the price she pays on deferring power or the parts of herself that she sacrifices for the sake of this money that, again, we kind of talked about, like she thinks is going to give her some leverage of power or autonomy. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of like the universe saying, this is the price you paid. You deferred. You betrayed Mm -hmm. yourself in such a deep way. Mm-hmm. this is the price you're now paying. It's like, mm-hmm. it's funny. I was talking about this with my friend, Kirsten. Shout out to Kirsten. Dog trainer to the stars. If you love good dog content, go follow her adventures in dog training on Instagram. But we were talking about this um, on Sunday and she was saying, I thought it was really interesting. She was saying the orphans almost feels like, you know, the orphan in Erica, you know, the way that she abandoned her own inner child. Mm-hmm which I thought was really, I'm reminded of that now. Like, and we talk about betrayal from the outside. How deeply did Erica betray herself in order to get this money and this marriage and to have this sort of illusion of control in her life? Do you think she's allowing herself? It brings up a big lump in my throat, actually, as I ask this question. Like, do you think she can actually see those people? 
that he fucked over like that? No. Because even before you asked the question, I started feeling, I was like, oh, it's, it's, it feels so connected to what we were talking before. That experience I was exploring of if I let myself feel the ways in which I was humiliated or powerless, somehow it's like they get away with it. It's something like that. It's like if I let myself feel these victims, it's like the teddy of it all. I'm pointing something. I'm pointing out the gap. As Erica, I'm going to fucking take you down. If I let myself feel these victims, I have to know and feel this gap. I have to know and feel what I unconsciously did to myself. And I think it's just, it's the embarrassment. It's the humiliation. Yeah, she tried. She tried. She made her bid for power and she failed. And I, like you said earlier, I think it's so humiliating to her. And if she feels that compassion and that empathy and that horror for those victims, I feel like it's going to be a straight shot into her own humiliation. And as we said, I think that's like number one thing she's trying to avoid. And this and is the, the very, the only thing that could actually open her up to that depth. Exactly. Oh, so there's another answer, right? Yeah. And, yeah. but also, and, and like, look at the catch 22, because it's like I was saying before, it's her refusal to feel any of that. That's having people point that finger at her. Again, I'm just going back to the Dorit and PK thing. You know, it's like Erica sitting there, like, I'm just trying to protect myself. Mm-hmm. And then people are on the outside looking at her being like, you fucking cold hearted bitch. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh, I just got chills. Yeah. Well, the one thing I know about the lessons I've had in my life, the ones that come in over and over again, they do tend to get a little louder and a little bigger until I finally, you know, surrender and say, okay, <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. But this feels so big in the price. Yeah. The price that other people have to pay for this is this refusal to see this refusal to, to own something. I mean, not that she's the one that actually did that, but her complicity in that way is, is there. Yeah. To me, that feels like a reflection of just her own larger than life energy, you know? I'm just, I think I've forgotten it, but let me just see if I can get, there was one other piece I got when listening to you about the sordid nature of all of this. Oh, 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 right. It's not a fully formed thought yet, but it's something around, she did betray herself so deeply for this money, right? Which also represented the power, which buffers her from the humiliation. And so for me, there's something about there's just something about the way this is set up from a narrative standpoint where it's like the money is in question. You know what I mean? There's this moral ethical debate about the price paid for the money. And it's like, if you think about her life as a metaphor, it's like I've fought for this money and I've made moral compromises for this money. And now she's in a position where it's like to fight for, you know, I'm sure on some level what she feels like is do her. Again, I'm kind of assuming she didn't know what he was doing. Uh, maybe she knew there was some funny business in this way that they fucking all, you know, fucking PK, the Vanderpumps. They all seem so like they're doing weird shitty shit in the background. Maybe she knew something like that. I, I just call me naive. I still just don't think she knew what was going on to that degree. But yeah, it's like now she's in this position, though, where it's like if she's going to keep the pattern up, it's like fighting for this morally questionable money. 
in the price that she then pays in terms of her own relationship to herself. It's Oh my it, God, I wouldn't want anything to, like, I can just feel this place. If she fights for that money, I can feel the place in me that goes to your side of there's no hope. Because can you imagine fighting for money that doesn't belong? It belongs to other people already? Like, I don't know. Is there even any money left? I don't think there's money left, but I think... I mean, look, I don't know the ins and outs, but I think it's kind of that sense of, and again, who even knows if it would make sense for her to do this in terms of what's going on legally, but she's definitely not just kind of saying, take whatever you can get and give it back to them. I think the sense is that she's trying to preserve what she can for herself so that she can kind of survive on the other side of this, you know, I I think. But when you were speaking just now, what I felt again, it's just if she were to, let's just say she just surrenders and she's just like, holy shit. Because I hear the voice in her that's saying it's not it's not fair. Like, you know, it's Tom, the one Tom's the one who did it. Why do I end up penniless? But it's sort of like if she were to surrender that and just say, holy shit, this is a tragedy. This is a nightmare. It sucks, but let me just, here's everything you need to know. Make sure they're taken care of first. Maybe there's a crumb or two at the end of this. Again, I just feel that would take her to that place of powerlessness that she's never wanted to go into. You know, it's like, because again, remember what I said before? It's not fucking fair. That's the voice I heard. This feels like another situation to her. Like, it's not fair. And it's like, then she has to. It's such a magnified version of that. Everything that I, all the sandcastles I built in the sky to prevent this feeling of powerlessness, to come out on top, to right a wrong. It all blew up in my face. And then I hear that young voice in her just kind of going back to the original experience as a betrayal of being like, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything wrong there. Like, I, why are people being so mean to me? You know, like, I'm just trying to survive this stuff. But I think that is the foray in, because if you can stand there and really believe you did nothing wrong, you can also see what's right to do right you don't you don't grab something that doesn't belong to you that 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 money doesn't belong to tom and therefore it doesn't belong to her so i I think if she could stand there and say yeah i did nothing wrong and this is the right thing to do i have a lot there's a lot more power for her to say i can create i i can manifest this in in ways that don't steal from other people yeah victims Well, I will say kind of as we reach the end of all this, just what I hear so clearly, and again, I think we said this, but just to say it really simply and directly, it just feels like the universe is screaming at her to surrender. It's just like, for the love of God, woman, will you finally surrender? And then when I say that voice, the message I hear for her is like, we've got so much more waiting for you on the other side. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Piper, I feel like we created the field and I I do feel like we created space for Erica's higher self. (laughs) People might be pissed about that, but I feel like we did. And um, it's been a journey. Thanks for having me and um, inviting me back to to explore a very complex human that I really don't understand very well and to tap in in the ways that you did, because I feel like I, I know a little bit more. It's always fun. Any final thoughts? Yeah, like you said, I just, Erica, let it go, you know, surrender. No, I don't don't really have any other final thoughts other than process. And I guess we get to decide where we are 
in that that part of the the journey. Yeah, and I think the last thing that's coming to me, it's you know that message that just came through. There's so much more on the other side. I, what I hear for her is like the other side is where she gets to start having fun. Yes, real fun. I was literally about to say real fun, not like this pretend facsimile of fun that's erica jane like real fucking fun sweetheart okay that was erica's voice coming through <laughs> you know just that you know because that's who she feels like real fucking fun sweetheart okay like that's who she is she's like a may west let's get real all right piper thank you so much for being here as always uh i just feel such a debt of gratitude for your presence and your insights and i i feel so grateful that i have uh, someone like you to go to such a deep level with regarding these shows. And thank you all listeners for being here. As always, if you don't already, follow me on Instagram, Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N. And if you are feeling called in some way to this work that I do, head over to my website, hollywoodreadings.com, where you can learn more about it and feel free to send me an email there. Okay, guys, till next time. Bye. Bye.